financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a best-selling author, broadcaster, and prophecy scholar, discusses how Satan is infiltrating the Christian church and startling new information on the construction of the third temple in Jerusalem. I mean, I go straight to Israel. I get it right out of the horse's mouth of the Temple Institute, right out of the mouth of Zev Parat, whose whole family were rabbinical rabbis, and he was training to be a Sanhedrin rabbi. And he knows all of those rabbis, and they all know him. And he gave me inside scoop. And so he gets it from them. He gets it from military people. And it is earth-shattering. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. 
Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Carl Gallops is here. Carl is the longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Florida. He's a conference leader, evangelist, and Christian media icon. He's one of the founders of video teaching material to the world-famous P.P. Simmons YouTube Ministry and Biblical Apologetics Channel. He's a graduate of Florida State University and the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's the author of a number of best-selling books, including Gods and Thrones, Gods of Ground Zero, Gods of the Final Kingdom, and his latest, Masquerade, Prepare for the Greatest Con Job in History. Hey, Carl, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. Thank you for having me. It's always good to be on air with you, brother. It's, it's been a while since you and I have chatted, uh, pre-COVID-19. How are you and your congregants faring? Listen, we are fine. And I, if you want to talk about this during your show, please feel free. But I'm just going to drop this out there. We never closed our doors, ever. Uh, we made some uh, common sense adjustments. Um, but our doors have stayed open. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us have been gathering every week. We live stream tens of thousands without any exaggeration. Tens of thousands watch us live on on, t- on uh, Internet. And uh, we're just blowing and growing. We've been doing missions and ministry in the middle of all of this. We've gone up into tornado disaster areas. We've gone into several states. Uh, and, and we've done missions. So, uh, we've sweated with people, worked with people, hugged people, prayed with people, worshipped with people by the thousands all during this. We've never closed our doors. And in the very beginning, when all this really broke out, March and April, we had a couple of uh, worship services wherein it was dedicated to uh, praying and reading scripture over the congregation, uh, me helping people understand we weren't going to do this in an arrogant, prideful way, but with holy fear and trembling. And we were asking the Lord to honor uh, us as we honor his word. There are all kinds kinds of scriptures that say, look, if you will walk with me in faith, if you will trust me, I will not only protect you in times of pestilence and disease, but I will do it so that you can be a witness to the world. And that was our prayer, that, Lord, we don't, we're don't. we not asking you to protect us because we're terrified of COVID. We're asking you to protect us so that our church doesn't become a laughingstock, but rather your word is high and exalted and lifted up. And I said, I'm not asking that nobody ever gets COVID. I'm not asking that nobody ever gets sick. But we're asking that our church doesn't get this total infection and everybody goes to the hospital and people die. And we're just going to keep going in faith. Brother? That was 10 months ago. We're still going. We have had out of many hundreds of people that come every Sunday, we've had zero hospitalizations, zero respirators, zero deaths, and almost everybody in our church, it's the same with their family members. Uh, Out of our entire congregation, now remember about half of them can't even come because they're elderly or they're sick or they've got the flu or whatever. And so they watch by live stream. And I've told the congregation, I said, look, you, you, don't, you don't have to come. This is not a cult. We're, we're not going to shame you. We're not going to make you come. 
I told my whole staff, I said, you don't, you don't have to be here in worship services. Um, you can work from home. I will pay you. I will not fire you. I will not shame you if you feel like your life is in danger or, you know, whatever you want to do. But they all said, no, sir, we're going to walk in faith with the word. We've been with you for 30 years. We know this is the right thing to do. Well, we have. And so here we are. And out of all of those hundreds, we've had we were counting the other day five people that tested positive uh they all of them tested four of them tested because their work demanded that they did um three of them were totally asymptomatic uh the other two did go to bed in their own home for a couple of days one guy had a fever about 103 he finished the whole thing and he said it was about like having the flu the other one was less than that. He said it was like a bad cold. Uh, they quarantined themselves. They came back to church, and they're fine. And, brother, that, humanly speaking, is an impossibility. But God honored his word. We're standing as a testimony to the world, and all praise goes to the Lord. I'm not bragging at all. God would strike us dead. I can tell you, I'm the healthiest. This has been the healthiest 10 months of my life. I haven't even had a sniffle. And I shake people's hands. I hug people's necks if they want it. I'm in conferences. I'm at our church. We've been doing missions side by side with people in disaster zones. And, brother, I haven't even had a sniffle. So all praise to the Lord. Thank you for asking me, Richard. Hmm. All right. So let's talk about Masquerade, Prepare for the Greatest Con Job in History. This uh, book is about the end times. It's about the Antichrist. Uh, we'll touch on the some confusion regarding the construction of the third temple, which I found particularly interesting. It's also about uh, Satan. And, um, but you were telling me before we began, the, the writing of this book uh, predates COVID-19. You wrote it last summer, I think, and it yes. went to print in March. Tell me, tell me about some unusual th circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, I, uh, this is, um, I, I, I get glory bumps. I start to say chill bumps, glory bumps on my arms every time I talk about this because even my congregation, after it all came to fruition and we were right in the middle of COVID and, of course, we were not closed and we were doing missions and God was protecting, like I said, but out comes my book. Now, let me explain to your audience. I wrote this book. Uh, and for your audience that don't have a clue about the book or the cover or the name of it or anything, just hang on. You're getting ready to be knocked off your seat, probably. I wrote this book, like Richard said, uh, back last summer. Um, and, and he's right. That's the general theme of it. And, and, and there's even more. I, I, I have given a testimony of a vision that I had some years ago. I've done that all over media. I've done it in prophecy conferences. It's gone all over the world. Uh, people have just responded so positively. And so I put that in print form in this book, too. It's near the end of the book. But it is all about what Satan is really, really up to, what the Bible really, really says. I'm not talking about the little coloring book Sunday school lessons. I'm talking about what the Word of God at the gut level says about this whole disaster called the fallen world and what's getting ready to happen. So I wrote it that way just so to wake the church up, to get the church ready for some weird times coming. And I even said in the book that I felt like something was getting ready to snap in the world. Now remember, I wrote this last, last summer. 
And I even said in the book that people have been asking me for years, man, I feel it in the air. Something's getting something prophetic's getting ready to happen. It's going to change the world. I said, I know I feel the same way. So I talk about that in the book and then I just kind of help people understand where it's headed. All right. So I wrote it in the summer. I turned my manuscript in August, September. We went through the whole editing process, and that's more of months, month or two, back and forth, back and forth with the editors. Then it has to go to cover design. Then we have to have marketing meetings and all of that. So by the end of, of 2019, we were getting ready, and the publisher said, look, we're going to release it in March of 2020, in the first quarter. I said, okay, fine. And that was it. We were all innocent as lambs. None of us knew that within weeks would come the whole COVID uh, global pandemic, and I'm making air quotes right now. Um, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, so so the book was scheduled for release March 15th. Well, you know, I just forgot about that and moved on. I had other books to write. I'm ghostwriting for somebody else. I've got a church to pastor and radio shows to do and TV shows to do, and I'm just going on with life. The next thing I know, we round the corner to 2020. Here's the whole COVID pandemic. It, a lot of it's being weaponized by the leftists. That, and listen, COVID's real. COVID sickness is real. COVID death is real. The COVID virus is real. I'm not one of those that say it's all fake. No, it's not. But a lot of fake news, a lot of fake numbers, a lot of fear mongering has come out of it, a lot of political weaponry around the world, but particularly in the United States. So I'm watching all of that happen. And then my publisher says, hey, Carl, your book releases in just a couple of weeks. And I said, that's, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and then it dawned on me. Oh, my gosh. What was the name of the book? Masquerade, Preparing for the Greatest Con Job in History. What's the cover design? It's a picture with a man with a mask on his face. I, I mean, it just hit me. I said, oh, my word. This book is speaking to exactly what is happening. We felt like something was getting ready to snap. This is it. I mean, this is the beginning of it. This is, it's, it's creating this washing, uh, this flood of prophetic attachments, the closing of the churches all over the world, the first time in world history that on Resurrection Sunday, you couldn't find a church to go to anywhere in the world. What is Resurrection Sunday? It represents the defeat of Satan. And for the first time since the birth of the church, on that celebration of the defeat of Satan, the churches are closed. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I'm writing about all of this in my next book that will come out in the first quarter of 2021. It's already turned into the publishers, but but it just ca continues to catalog this avalanche of prophetic happening. So, so Richard, so in the book, I, I do. I expose Satan, his tricks. He, I got the title from the scripture. It says Satan, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so I was writing about the chicanery, the, the, the fraud, the fake news, the fake, deep fake video, deep fake audio, deep fake everything. Everything's fake. I mean, delusions, illusions, uh, derangement of mind, depravity of mind, sweeping the planet. I'm writing about these things. And now we're living in the midst of the beginning edges of that tidal wave. And the book releases with that cover of a man with a mask on his face and the title masquerade it's all a masquerade and underneath it it says preparing for the greatest con job in history now of course the ultimate con job is going to be the coming of the antichrist and those very last days right. but we're living in the edges of it right now richard it certainly feels that way in the beginning or near the beginning of the book uh, you write about 
how Jesus was warning not only his disciples, but his followers, and, and thus uh, those of us who, who read the Bible, he was warning us about this deception yes. in the, the first four parables of the kingdom. Yes. Could you just summarize those? Most of us have heard about the mustard seed and the, uh, you know, the leavened bread and the uh, the yeah. wheat and tares. But yeah. just walk us through those four parables and explain what's really happening there. Yeah, yeah. There there are seven parables in Matthew 13, the Gospel of Matthew, where he's down on the shores of Galilee, uh, right outside of Capernaum. People are coming from all of the regions. They've been flooding into the area for weeks. And Jesus, the crowds are swelling. That's where he healed the man with the shriveled hand in the synagogue and that's kind of what kicked it off and 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 then from there Jesus is down by the by the seashore they have to put him in a boat to push him offshore as his pulpit because the crowds are so thick there's no room plus he needs to be able to speak better plus they need to protect Jesus I mean you know it's kind of get him out of the middle of the crowd so he's out there preaching but he's just right off the shore and he and he teaches seven parables now the first four are what you want me to focus on, and rightly so, because that's where he warns the church in general. Now, there was no church when he was speaking this, so to speak. The word church means called out ones. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it, and it means the called out ones. So literally, the church was standing in front of him, those that had been called out or were being called out to, to listen to Jesus. But in the richest meaning, it has the meaning that we think of. And it's not a building. It's not a denomination. But it's people like you and me, Richard, who who read the word. We believe in Jesus Christ. We we are believers, so we are a part out of we're we're part of the called out ones, the church. And so in there, he's warning not only the people of his day, because think of it, his disciples would be the first pastors of the first church and the first churches. Some of them would be the writers of the New Testament documents, or at least half of them. Paul would write the other half. And so he's warning them about things they would deal with in their own advancement of the kingdom work. But it's the warning is especially, and it's ominously so, and, and, and it, he makes it clear that he's also speaking to the very last days, the church of the very last days. And here's what he says. He gives four parables. The first one is the parable of the sowing of the seed. Just very quickly, he talks about the four, basically the four soils upon which the seed falls. You know, the, the, the nice rich one where it grows and blooms and produces fruit. And then there's the hard place and the rocky path, etc. And these other places where the birds of the air come down and pick the seed away and, and destroy it. Well, he later defines when he's telling his disciples the meanings of these parables, he said the birds of the air represent the demonic realm, represent Satan, the fallen ones, his minions who are out there destroying churches and denominations and pastors. Brother, we've seen that this week. Look at the great pastors or the big named pastors that are falling left and right, getting caught up in all manner of evil. I mean, brother, the word of God says that judgment comes to the house of God first. And again, we're living in such prophetic times, I think we're seeing it. Jesus was talking about that in, in, in Matthew 13. So he talks about that parable. Then he goes into uh, the parable of the, um, uh, of the wheat field. And, and again, he talks about the wheat, you know, it's growing beautifully, but the enemy comes in at night and, and plants the tares among the wheat. And the tares look like wheat, and we can't tell humanly. So, But, the, you know, what do we do? Do we pull up these weeds? The tares are weeds that look like wheat, but they produce no fruit. What a perfect illustration of the 
the the visible Christian world. Now, see the the visible churches are the buildings, the denominations, the you know the crowds that pile into these buildings. But the invisible church, that's that's people like you and me and many of your listeners and others that will believe that just you know okay, denominations fine, church is fine, but my faith is in Jesus Christ, not a priest, not a preacher, not a denomination, not a building. Uh, my faith is in Jesus Christ, and I will serve him even if they close the buildings. I will serve him even if I have to go underground. That's the invisible church. And so that's Jesus, the wheat. That's the wheat. Yeah, that's the wheat, see? But the tares look just like the wheat. But what's the difference? They don't produce the fruit. And so Jesus tells that parable. He tells his disciples. He says, look, he says, it's, uh, this is the work of the enemy. The enemy is Satan. He comes in at night. He plants the weeds. And, and, and just, just there's coming a separation process. He promises dis- disciples, don't you go out and try to play God and determine who's real and who's not. Now, I mean, if it's in your face, you have that, uh, that authority from God's word. We are to, to, to judge you know, people that are just fake and tearing the church up, but he says we're not to go to eat each individual individual and, and pronounce whether they're saved or not. Let God do that. He will do that. But he says, but I'm warning you, you need to know that just because you have 10,000 people in an auditorium worshiping or calling themselves worshiping, it doesn't mean all 10,000 of them are true born-again believers. Some of them are there to do the work of the enemy. Some of them on purpose. Some of them are being used by the enemy, and they don't even know it. So he's telling that. Well, goodness, look at our generation. Now we have huge civic center-sized churches, and we've got technology, and we're pumping it to the world, and tens and tens of thousands, millions of people are saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And I pray they are, I wish they were, but according to Jesus and according to what we're watching unfold before us, it's not true. They're not. A lot of them are tares. And I'm not here to judge who is and who isn't, but that was one of the parables. The other parable is the parable of the of, of the leaven. And, you know, oh, sorry, says, the, the mustard seed. We have to do the mustard seed first. Oh, okay, we'll do the mustard seed. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, the mustard seed, a lot, and as you've read the book, you see that I everything I'm saying, I have it backed up from scholars. I mean, dozens and dozens of scholars from hun- over hundreds of years, all the way back to the early Jewish writers, all the way back to the first church, right into modern day scholars. And so what I'm getting ready to say is all backed up. That parable of the mustard seed is often misinterpreted by preachers, teachers, and even some scholars to, to say that it means it's, it's, the, it's the growth of the church. Let me describe the parable. Jesus said, it's like the mustard seed, the smallest of your seeds, yet it grows into the largest of the plants, largest of the trees in the garden. And he says, and the birds of the air. Well, where have we heard that before? <laughs> there they are again. Yeah. And he says, the birds of the air, they come and they nest. And this, he says, and, and it's like this tree planted in a garden. And I mean, you know, and so... It, and, and he says, and then it becomes, you know, just just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's funny how many preachers and commentators over the years have said, oh, that's talking about how the kingdom of God starts with a little teeny mustard seed. But look, it grows so huge. And look how big the church is going to be. Well, truth and, be told, that's what I thought it meant. Yeah, well, a lot of people do because that's what most people have heard all their lives. But first of all, you got to remember that— these parables, Jesus is firing them off left after, I mean, one after the other, left and right, left and right. It, it, there's no big 10 days of difference between them. There's seconds between the telling of these parables. And the first one, he talks about the birds of the air, pick the seed, and then he tells his disciples, 
He says, wink, wink, the birds of the air are demons. The birds of the air are Satan's minions. And then he goes on and tells the one about the wheat and the tares, and then he says, it's Satan that does this. He comes in among the church, and he plants people that look just like Christians, but they really belong to him. Then he tells this one, and he says, the seed is sown, and it grows into the largest tree. No mustard seed. No mustard plant grows into the largest tree in a garden. Jesus is exaggerating to make a point that this thing is unnatural, Mm. something unnatural. Watch this. Happens in a garden. (laughs) Wow. That's like going back to the Garden of Eden. Something unnatural happened there. And so what happens in the parable? The birds of the air who he just got finished telling his disciples, these are the demonic realm. He doesn't have to define it again because he's already told his disciples what it means. They're not stupid. We're the stupid ones. We, we read a parable, and we preach a sermon on it, we forget about it. We come back a week later, we read another parable, and we preach a sermon, and we forget it. Finally, we get down to the, that parable, and we preach it, And we say, oh, well, now, I don't know what this means. This must mean that the church is just going to grow and grow and grow. But then if you read them like they were spoken, the answer is right there. The birds of the air come into this unnatural bush that's growing and growing, and, and they plant their nests in the middle of it. That's the same thing. He's basically saying the same thing about the wheat and the tares, but he's using a different illustration. And, brother, I'm telling you, when I was a young Christian, when I, back when I was a cop, and you know I did that for 11 yes. years in criminal investigations and stuff, and, and I, I thought the same thing you thought. And then I was in seminary, and I remember reading this, and I said, this is just so strange. I mean, it says right here, the birds of the air, I, you know what, you know, are demons. And, and I thought, but what, what can this be? Well, brother, I've been in the ministry 34 years now, and about 30 years ago, I've been in the ministry as a senior pastor for about four years, about 30 years ago it hit me. Oh, my gosh. He he is talking about a demonic encroachment upon the kingdom work. Because see, now look what we see, in America especially. We've got dynasties built uh, in churches, uh, huge denominations from evangelicals to, you know, any, any denomination you want to pick, Roman Catholic, Church of England, Southern Baptist, all of these huge monolithic structures. And there are a lot of godly men and women in there, and there are a lot of godly people and saved people and even people in leadership. But these structures are so monolithic. Listen, I'm Southern Baptist, so I'll hit on us. We, we've just got this monolithic structure. It's the largest evangelical denomination in the world, some 16, 17 million members, 50,000 churches. And, and, and what, what Jesus was warning is, look, there's going to be some growth and some unnatural things are going to happen. And again, the tares are going to come in among the wheat. The demonic are going to set themselves up in the middle of it and build nests in the middle of it. And the the Bible doesn't say this, but now we know there'll be sexual scandals, there'll be financial scandals, there'll be uh, theological scandals, there'll be doctrines of demons, Paul warned Timothy, Uh, they'll lead people astray, they'll throw truth to the ground in these monolithic structures. That's what Jesus was warning. And again, I back it all up with word studies and tons of scholarly attestation. And then the fourth one was the unleavened bread. And it's a very quick little thing. It's like he's summing the first three up. 
it's like his concluding of the fourth, because the last three parables are pretty positive. He said, look, the kingdom work, then the last three, I'm going to sum them up where he says the kingdom work is amazing. It's like a treasure. Go find it. Seek it. Now now that you know the first four parables and you, you be on the lookout for what Satan is doing, uh, you know, invest yourself in the kingdom work. There's nothing more valuable than that. All right. Now, but let's back up to the fourth parable. It's only a sentence or two. I, I can't remember things, one or two sentences. And, and, and the gist of it is, he said, look, it's like a woman who's baking a, a, a batch of bread. She puts the yeast in it, and it works its way through the whole batch. Well, every place in the entirety of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, every place where yeast is used in a parable at all, and it's only used just for what it is a couple of times, but it's used many times in the Old Testament and New Testament as a symbol or a parable of something. Every single time it's used as a symbol of evil. Just like tares, it's a real thing, it's a weed, but it's a symbol of evil planted among the wheat. Okay? It's just like the mustard seed, it doesn't grow to a gangly tree. Demons don't come and put nest in a mustard plant, and you're go- it's a small one of the you know it's a, a fairly fairly good size. It's a, little a shrub. Bush, but it's, it's not a shrub, a but not yeah, a tree. It's a shrub. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 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 yeast is the same way. It's just a little bit of this material that you put in a big batch of dough, but the effect is tremendous. It works its way through the whole batch, and it causes it to rise. And watch this. And it smells good, and it tastes good, and it, ooh, it's just wonderful, except that it rots quickly, which is why the, the God told Moses when, when the, preparing the children of Israel to come out of Egypt and to go into the desert, he said, bake unleavened bread. Why? Well, it's a little, not quite as tasty, doesn't smell as good, it's kind of flat, kind of plain, but it almost lasts forever, <laughs> because the yeast is also a spoiling agent over time. And so Jesus uses this parable. It's kind of like he's saying, look, the first three parables I'm trying to tell you, this is about the work of Satan. So let me just cap it off. It's like yeast in a dough of bread. You, you put it there, and you don't even know it's there, it's so small at first. But give it some time, it'll work through the whole batch, and it will look pretty and smell pretty, just like tares look like wheat, just like the seed you sow. You're not noticing what kind of ground it's on. You're just throwing the seed. But the birds of the air come, pick the seed. The birds of the air come, nest in the branches. The enemy comes. He plants the seed. He plants the tares. That's what he's doing. In the fourth parable, he said, so let me just sum it up. It's like a woman baking bread. She puts dough in it, and it goes through the, I mean, yeast in it, and it goes through the whole thing. So he was warning us, brother, and from there, I just go and show all the other teachings that Jesus said, Paul said, John said, Peter said, that matches that. They knew what he meant. Right. I go all the way through to the warnings that Paul gives in the very last days, what's going to happen to the church, and not only does it match what Jesus said in Matthew 13, but dozens of scholars saw it and wrote to it. And not only that, but brother, we are now living in it. It has happened for the first time in the history of the church. Satan is closing down the churches and pastors are hiding and church members are hiding. And I'm not being disparaging here. I'm I'm just saying I'm generally speaking around the world. There's some churches that needed to close. Some pastors that were elderly with underlying conditions, they needed to get away from people for a while to see what was going to happen here. So I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying 
This has never happened in history before. And brother, there have been pandemics far worse than this over the years and never closed the church. Right, right. I was dismayed, quite frankly, by an inability or an unwillingness to find creative workarounds, uh, uh, yes. to find creative solutions. So for, so for example, now, here we are in the, uh, you know, the fourth quarter, I hope, of this pandemic, and only now have they discovered that there's a way of administering the Holy Eucharist or communion, individual spoons for each parishioner. Surely they could have thought of that in the the very early days. Let me just back up. Just, I'm going to ask a very linear, basic question about the, the unleavened bread. It may sound like a dumb question, but was Jesus telling us really that we shouldn't use leavened bread in, in daily life? Is he telling us that? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Is no, it, no more than he was telling us never to plant mustard seeds, or they might grow into something horrible, or to never put seed on the ground because the birds there are just going to come get it anyway. Uh, no, it, it was. It's a parabolic. It's used symbolically. It's used metaphorically. Just okay. like, I, as you know, I've written a book that I prove categorically from the scriptures that it wasn't a walking, talking snake in the garden. It was Satan who's described as a serpent throughout the rest of the scriptures, all the way to Revelation where it says, and that ancient serpent who is Satan, the devil. So it's the same thing with unleavened bread. No, we, we need leavened bread. That's not a big deal. It's just that it, the, 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 the metaphor is so obvious, just like tares and wheat. It looks just like wheat, but it's a weed and it produces no fruit. And leaven is just so unnoticeable. I mean, you've got this huge patch of dough on the table that you've been kneading, you know, with your fingers kneading uh, and your knuckles. And, and you're ready to, and then you put this just a little sprinkle or two of yeast in it. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, a little bit won't hurt. Well, you know, it doesn't hurt it. But, but the point is, is that just a little bit of this thing changes the whole batch of dough. And that's the purpose. It, it, it wasn't to say right. we shouldn't eat leaven. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard it. Man, I can't imagine not having a yeast roll with my steak, bro. Okay, so we'll step away just for a moment and come back with more prophecy, more discussion on the Antichrist, the end of days, and the latest on the Third Temple. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more, listen to the dead files wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One tablespoon of ESS60 from C60 Evo helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS60 back in November. ESS60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS60 is a mega antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS60 suspended in olive oil was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm gonna live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized, and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for c60evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when ordering and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life. Discover what it can do for you. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Pastor Carl Gallops is here. We've been discussing the four parables of the kingdom delivered by Jesus and how they are really about the infiltration of the Christian church by Satan. And this is the big deception. Uh, this kind of leads us into a discussion about the third temple. And uh, a lot of end times prophecy revolves around uh, the construction of the third temple. Of course, the second temple destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And it hinges really for many, many people. You must have the third temple constructed on the Temple Mount. Billions of dollars are being spent by evangelical <laughs> Christians to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, yeah. thinking that the reason we need the third temple is in the end times, the Antichrist will walk into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he will announce himself to be the Messiah. So if there's no third temple, there's no there's no end times yet. There's no tribulation yeah. and all of that. But yeah. you really blow that out of the water here. Yeah, you read those four or five chapters. It probably 
peeled your hair back, didn't it? Because oh, yeah. you and I both were raised to think that. Now, now I want your audience to hear us. I don't want them to shut us off. I want them to hear me. What I put in this book, as Richard, I think, would attest, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but there's very little of my opinion there. I mean, I go straight to Israel. I get it right out of the horse's mouth of the Temple Institute, right out of the mouth of Zev Parat, whose whole family were rabbinical rabbis, and he was training to be a Sanhedrin rabbi. He's in his 50s now. He and I are dear friends. He's a believer in, in Yeshua, Jesus Christ now, and he knows all of those rabbis, and they all know him, and he gave me inside scoop. His mother's side of the family is connected to Benjamin Netanyahu's government. In fact, they're so high up, and I know what position they hold, but Zev tells me to please never announce it publicly. But I've, I know from his family that all of this is truth, of course. And so he gets it from them. He gets it from military people. Zev was in the military, ranking in the military. Uh, and so he got it from military, he got it from the government, and he got it from inside the Temple Institute. Plus, Zev and I, and I don't include this in the book, we've got a video on it, but Zev and I went to the Temple Institute ourselves, and we did one of those... Um, basically one of those hidden video things. We didn't really tell them who we were, and we were talking to them about the what was really going on with raising money for the Temple Institute. The bottom line is, to keep this from being a long conversation to answer your question, let me explain the verse I'm talking about and the one that I explore in the in the Bible, and then I will let your audience know what's going on with the quote, Temple Institute and the rebuilding of the temple, because I got five or six chapters on it, and it is, it is earth-shattering to people that have never read this. The passage I'm concerned about is uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, right in there, where it says, and he, the, the man of lawlessness, will set himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming that he himself is God. And then it goes on to speak about delusions and, and you know, truth being thrown to the ground, lies, deception. Okay, well, there may be a third temple one day on the Temple Institute. I'm not going to get into that debate right now. I've got my opinions. I've written to it before. But for the sake of this conversation, and in my book, I only stuck to this one passage because it's the one, it's the only verse in the entirety of the Bible that seems to say in the English translation that the man of lawlessness, now we know that's that's the spirit of Antichrist and Antichrist himself in the person, is going to set himself up in, and in the English it says, the temple of God, and proclaim he is God. Well, if you just take that, not putting any context to it, you, you would point to that and say, see, Carl, it says right there, right there in plain English, and I'm making air quotes right now, that there will be a temple on the Temple Mount, and that's where the Antichrist will sit, proclaiming he's God. But Richard, not only do I categorically prove from the scriptures and from the writings all the way back to the ancient writers of the first century church and even into the Jewish writings, and the scholars of all the way up through the next 18, 1900 years, right into our own day and time, except those who are of a, of a particular persuasion of end times. But all the other scholars agree with what I'm getting ready to say. And it almost can't, well, it can't be disagreed with, not that I'm right, but because Paul wrote that. And here's why it's important. Because that phrase, temple of God, 
the word temple, the Greek word, there are two words used for temple. One of them is hieron, and I don't expect your audience to remember all this, but I just want them to know I know what I'm talking about. And hieron means the structure that you and I think of as the temple, Solomon's colonnade, the temple on the Temple Mount, the whole thing, the Holy of Holies, as in the outer courts and the inner courts, and the you know, and and the colonnade section around it, and the marble steps going up. That's the hieron, the temple of God. And then there's another term. It's called the naos, N-A-O-S. And that has two meanings. And the Greek dictionaries say, and I've got it in my book so people can see it, it can can mean the inmost place of the hieron, in other words, the holy of holies. Or the dictionary says its most common use in the New Testament is to speak of the church itself the body of Christ, and particularly the individual Christian, where Paul says, and Jesus says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? You are the house of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Don't you know that, Paul said, over and over. Well, when you examine Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, and he will set himself up in the naos. He doesn't say in the hieron in the naos, proclaiming he's God. All right, now watch. Then you go and read every other, Paul wrote almost half the New Testament books. In three or four of those books, he used, in the English, you'll see the word temple. There's only one place where he uses the word he, Aaron, and it's very contextually accurate. He's talking about the priest go up to the he, Aaron, the temple, and they make their sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. He's just kind of preaching to them. All right, that's it. Then from there on out, he uses the exact phrase that's used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, when he says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Don't you know that the church is the temple of God? Jew and Gentile, under the blood, we're being built into a temple that is rising before the Lord. And don't you know that you flee from sexual immorality? All other sins are committed outside the body, but this is committed inside the body. And don't you know that you are the temple of God where the Holy Spirit resides on and on and on? Temple of God, temple of God, temple of God, temple of God, you are, you are, you are, the church is, the church is, naos, 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 and you come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he said, in the last days, this man of lawlessness, starting with the spirit of the whole thing, is going to set himself up in the naos, and he will proclaim he is God, and brother, let me tell you, I didn't put it in masquerade, because I didn't know this was going to happen, but it is in my next book. We're living it. We're in the edges of it. For the first time in the history of the church, the governments of the world, which are, by the way, are under the influence of Satan. I wrote about that in Gods and Thrones, Gods of the Final Kingdom. The Bible says it. Um, I wrote about it. For the first time since the birth of the church in 2,000 years, the governments said, shut your churches. You do what we say. We are God over you. They didn't say that, but by by ordering the church, shut your doors, you can't meet, you can't do this, you can't do that, we'll put you in jail in some nations, in some states in the United States, we'll put you in jail, we will fine you, we will shut you down. They were telling people that that churches are non-essential, but marijuana shops and Planned Parenthood. Casinos and restaurants and bars and big box stores and Planned Parenthood, those are essential. Churches are evil, churches are killing grounds, I've got all of this document in my next book, they literally 
literally say churches will kill you, but protest will not. Casinos will not, but churches will. Uh, brother, that is the spirit Paul was talking about. They have set themselves up as God over the church. And again, without judging, because everybody has their own individual story and where they live and everything. But by and large, all over the world, the pastors acquiesced and the churches acquiesced and the denominations acquiesced. And they let the man of lawlessness, what a name, tell the church shut down. Now watch this. Then in June, when it looked like there was going to be an opening a little bit, then they, then when the churches started opening, the governors and 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 you know whoever around the world because this was a worldwide thing it wasn't just the United States and Canada it was all over the world the governments began to say okay okay so we're going to let you we're we're going to give you permission to open now because we're God we can tell you what to do when to do and how to do it and so now we're telling you you can only have X percentage of your people there they must wear masks and you cannot sing you cannot sing love songs to Jesus. You can, you're going to do what we say. Do. I mean, basically, they are neutering the church. Well, brother, that's exactly what Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Watch this. But the vast majority of the church missed it. Richard, why? Because they grew up on the same teaching you and I grew up on. That right. that means the temple. And again, I, I, I've talked too much, but no, we no, can no. go into it's... the Temple Institute and what we discovered there, and it's all in the book, and it's documented. And Right. And so the, the point here is that, that, that for those people that believe in the end times, thinking that it is going to take a construction of the Third Temple uh, in order to fulfill that, that prophecy, they're not paying attention. Correct. They don't understand what was Correct. meant by the temple. Even Jesus said, you know, this temple will be torn down and in three days it will rise again. Yeah, he's he, talking about himself. Right. So yeah. the the Antichrist will not sit in the Holy of Holies. He he's he will sit in he will be amongst us in our church. Yes. Yeah, the wheat among the the tares among the wheat, the, the 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 birds of the air that have built nests, the birds that are picking the seed. I mean, the the yeast that is in the d batch of dough. You see it, Richard? It's right there. Right. Yes, that's what Jesus was warning. And then Paul comes along, and you got to remember, Paul was the one who was caught up to paradise. He was given the revelation of last day's things. And he said, I saw so much things, some things I wasn't even permitted to tell. And what he was permitted to tell, listen, Paul talked about the rapture. He talked about the blowing of the trumpet. He talked about being caught up in the air with him. He talked about doctrines of demons, about a demonic outpouring in the last days. He said, the spirit clearly says in the last days there will be. And he speaks and speaks and speaks. And another thing he said was 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, let me warn you. He says the man of lawlessness will set himself up in, quote, the naos of God, and he will proclaim that he is God. And then Paul chastises the church at Thessalonica by saying, you should already know these things. I've taught you these things. I've written these things. How is it that you don't understand what I'm telling you? So, see, we're sitting here 2,000 years later reading that in English and saying, oh, look, it says temple. So that's got to be that the Antichrist is going to sit in a third temple. And you got to remember when Paul wrote that, the temple was still standing. The temple wasn't destroyed until three years after Paul's death. He's not talking about the he Iran. He's talking about the naos in its metaphorical use of the church, the body of Christ, right. each individual Christian. Yes. And, and as you point out in the book, the uh, a tiny, tiny 
minority of even Messianic Jews in Israel, and it's not a huge number to begin with, but a minority of those uh, want a third temple built, and uh, they all recognize it would it would cause you know World War Three in the Middle East. Yes, yes, yeah. The the Orthodox Jews, those are the ones you would think would be rabidly wanting a temple. No. No, brother, it's a minuscule amount, and that not only is documented in mainline, frontline Jewish sources, but the government of Israel has issued official statements to that fact that I replicated in my book. Zev Parat, who lives there and knows the people that run the Temple Institute, knows them personally. Um, they have told him the Temple Institute and the Temple uh, the temple um, sightseeing thing is built for tourists. It's a money-making venture. Ze- I put it in the book. Zev Parat has inside sources that have told him they have raised so many billions of dollars that they could literally, Zev told me, so he said, Carl, I mean this literally. They could literally build 10 full-scale temples and pay cash for it. They've got the money, and but but it brings in billions of dollars every year, and it goes to government, and it goes in people's pockets, and it goes, and it's mainly evangelicals from around the world. Now, is He's, this part of the deception? Because people are yes. will be distracted. They'll be thinking, oh well, the yes. third temple hasn't been built yet, and we don't have a yes. we don't have a pure blood, uh, we don't have a, a heifer uh, yeah. that will be yeah. sacrificed, and so yeah. meanwhile, there's something else going on. Yes, the world's going to miss it. And listen, I know there are some people listening, and I and I want to speak very graciously to those that are listening that are having trouble with this. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher, teacher, used to be criminal investigator and patrol officer. I, I have no nefarious reason to mislead anybody on this. I'm a scholar. I've written 11 best-selling books. I preach and teach in prophecy conferences. I'm all over TV and radio. I, I'm, I'm not a newbie at this. I've been doing this for decades, and I'm just telling you folks, I know what I'm talking talking about. There may be a third temple. Somebody calling themselves the Antichrist may sit in it one day and proclaim to be God, but you cannot get it from that passage, Richard. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's why he gets on to the church. He said, why are you even asking me this? I've told you. I've written it. You know what I'm talking about. The naos of God in these last days is the church. Jesus himself said, tear this temple down, pointing to himself, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Well, we know he meant his resurrection, his body. The scriptures tell us that. John said he was talking about himself. But what is the church called now? The body of Christ. Well, if Jesus called himself the temple and then said, we are the new body of Christ, that makes us the new temple, which is why Paul addressed it that way in every one of his books. The naos, the naos. Don't you know that you are the naos? Don't you know that the church is the naos? And then he comes to Second Thessalonians and said, let me tell you what's going to happen in the last days. The man of lawlessness, the spirit of lawlessness that it's it, it, the, the governments of the world are going to just make decrees over the church worldwide and say, I am God. You do what I say. And brother, listen to me. Not only did denominations and pastors and individual churches do it, but a lot of individual Christians, what did they do? They went straight to the Internet and started trashing other brothers and sisters, turning in other brothers and yes. sisters to government yes. authorities getting pastors put in jail, which is exactly what Jesus warned us in Matthew 24 would happen. Brother would turn against brother, sister against sister, people, mother and father against children. They would report each other to the authorities. Brother, 
we're we're living it. We're living. We're in the inside edges of it right now. Masquerade, prepare for the greatest con job in history. Carl, how do we get a copy? Thank you. Oh, there's so many ways. Anywhere good books are sold. But you know what? A lot of people are getting it directly from me. Go to my website, carlgallops.com. You don't have to do it. You can get it anywhere. Uh, you get them online. You get them in box stores, brick, brick and mortar stores. But if you'll go to carlgallops.com and just follow the links, you'll see um, you can get it bulk. You can get discounts. You can get package deals. Plus, I can autograph it for you if you want to do it that way. Thanks, Richard. And how do we listen to you on Freedom Friday? Thanks. Again, callgallops.com. That's the clearinghouse. I've got live stream feeds right there, plus podcast right at the top of the page. You can't miss it. Myname.com. C-A-R-L-G-A-L-L-U-P-S. Callgallops.com. Thank you for this, Carl. Thank you, Richard. Talk soon. Okay. God bless. Okay. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. She's our full script dispensary manager and a nutritional therapist. Welcome back, Colleen Forgas. How are you? Great, Richard. So many people are having sleep issues. It's an epidemic, a national epidemic. What do we have at the full script dispensary for people who have trouble getting to sleep? The product I want to recommend today is called Insomnitol. It's by Designs for Health, and it includes GABA, which is something that we have discussed on previous conversations, also valerian root, passionflower, chamomile, melatonin. So these products are all designed to help calm the body and ensure a good night's sleep. Terrific. Insomnitol. To order, all you need to do is go to strangeplanet.ca, then click on the full script dispensary button. Once there, just register. And remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, Deep Throat's lawyer discusses the recent indictment of an FBI lawyer for his part in the Russiagate hoax. That's the question. Can he roll over on anybody? Can he give information that would get somebody else? I can't believe that he did this of his own accord. The only problem is when looking, when you look at the Horowitz report, you realize that everybody is so clearly imbued with the notion that we're all going to go get Trump. They almost didn't need to give any direction. It really is a lot like a mafia conspiracy. These guys know what they're supposed to do. They're not there creating documents showing their guilt. So that's the problem. What can Klein Smith bring you? I don't know. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. <laughs> <laughs>